the United States of America, home of the brave. A place that is filled with different cultures, diversity, beautiful scenery, a place I call home. But one thing many people may not know about the USA is the artisans, craftsmen, and women, photographers, musicians, creatives, makers of all sorts that come with this beautiful country. Many people tend to buy products from major online retailers that they forget about the make that is happening right here in America. From the Industrial Revolution and even prior to that time period, America has continued to build its economy through makers, and there are thousands of them. America has makers that forge steel to make knives and axes, sew skirts, hats, and handbags with materials of all sorts, paint and capture visuals that are forever in your home and carried in your heart, share stories through music and writings, make special treats and refreshing beverages, and much more. Join me through the journey through the lives of makers across our country to hear how they get down with their craft. I'm Kristen Vermeule, and this is Makers of the USA. On this episode of the Makers of the USA main series, I had a lovely chat with a renowned bladesmith who is based out of Vassalboro, Maine, named Nick Rossi. Growing up in the 90s, he was infatuated with action movies filled with swords and kung fu fighting. (laughs) I'm just joking. But the swords, I'm not joking. And this interest turned into his love for knives. He started working in a knife shop and learned from renowned experts in the bladesmith industry here in Maine. Nick crafts knives out of high carbon alloy steel, which he believes performs at the highest level. I agree. I've used one of his knives, and it was kind of scary because I am not a cook, but um, this thing can just really slice it up. I mean, just clean cut. Oh my gosh. He crafts kitchen knives, pocket knives, and even my all-time favorite, oyster shucking knives, which I need to check out, and I will hopefully demo. Nick, I hope you're listening to this. I really want to demo your oyster shucking knives. He learned over time how to perfect his craft, and at the beginning stages of his career, learned the importance of the patina of the knife, and how to not remove that when sharpening knives. It is a marking that makes a knife beautiful and unique. After learning more about Nick's craft, this definitely sounds like a dangerous job, but it seems like this craft is such a good fit for him, and it definitely shows when you see his pieces. Now... Let's talk craft with Nick Rossi. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into Makers of Maine. We have Nick Rossi. Thank you so much, Nick, for being on the Makers of Maine podcast today. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. Yes. <laughs> I'm, so just to give uh, the audience a little bit of background, I'm sitting in Vassalboro, uh, where Nick Rossi's studio is, and it is amazing to see the variety of equipment that's here, and I can't wait to get to know what each piece and entails. <laughs> There's just so much going on. I do have a lot of stuff. I got yeah, a lot of stuff. You do. So the first question I'll kick off is, what is your craft and what inspired you to start it? 
Well, I am a professional bladesmith, and what that means is I start with uh, raw material, and I forge it plastically to shape, sort of like a, a, a potter would work with clay. Mm -hmm. um, I heat it up until it becomes plastic, and I use a hammer, and uh, I, forge it, I forge it to shape. And uh, I'm a bladesmith, so I primarily make, make knives, yeah. and, uh, and that's... Uh, that's that, that's kind of it. <laughs> so did you go to school for this? Did you study this? Like, how did you get into this work? Well, this is the thing about bladesmithing is unlike uh, some of the other crafts, uh, it, there's no, there, or when I was getting into this in like the late 90s, early 2000s, there weren't a lot of places you could go to learn this. There were a few seminars that you could attend. Um, there was one school that was in that was in the South, but you know, for a kid up in Maine, there wasn't really a lot to uh, to kind of uh, to kind of help you move along through the craft. And yeah. I was lucky enough to meet some knife makers um, when I got a job in a retail cutlery store. Nice. Um, which was really uh, the start of this whole thing, mm -hmm. and uh, and I was able to meet a custom a custom knife maker, and they would kind of show me, you know, show me my mistakes. I'd show them what I was working on, and they would kind of like uh, critique me, and that was kind of how I learned just just trial and error. And it was really uh, kind of awful. It was a lot of work. <laughs> I'm um, sure. <laughs> and you know, yeah, yeah, it was uh, a lot of just experimentation. Yeah, I'm sure that's what a lot of crafters do. It's like very trial and error. And sometimes um, you teach yourself how to do it. And it sounds like in this case, it sort of was, but you had mentors along the way. I did. I, I, I was lucky enough to have some mentors and some friends that really, really helped me along. And, you know, and, uh, and now it's totally different. There are craft schools, there are places you can go to right. really makes the journey a lot, a lot easier. Now, were you a knife maker um, at the start of your career or did you kind of like tell me about your beginning stage of your career? Did you go to school? Like, What were you doing before so, you got into knife making? I, I have always been knife obsessed from yeah. when I was a little kid. I don't know what it is. I grew up in the <laughs> 90s and uh, there were lots of action movies and these action movies like had these knives that were kind of like stars in and of themselves right and, and it was really really like you know for like an eight-year-old kid it was like oh my god that is just so cool <laughs> uh and then I would go to L.L. Beans and I'd see like you know the Swiss Army knives and stuff like that and you know there was just something about it that was just very very compelling so I've always been into knives like my my entire life uh and and you know a friend of a friend knew of a store that sold just knives in Freeport. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, well, they're looking for someone to kind of kind of help out. And this was kind of my first job. And uh, I, I apparently, like, as a 15-year-old, I made a good enough impression on the owners of the store, and they gave me a chance, and they gave me a job. And so I, I didn't really grow up in a mechanical household yeah. necessarily. And, uh, you know, a lot of these tools are pretty intimidating. Uh, I'm you sure. know, these, these grinders and drill presses and like they can really, you know, they can they can certainly hurt you if you <laughs> don't know if you don't know what you're doing. And, right. uh, and so, you know, it was nice at, at at the at the store I was working at, there was uh, another employee there named Herb um and he uh, he was he was just starting on his journey. He was a little bit further along than I was. Um and he took me to his shop. And kind of showed me, like, this is how you, you know, you do this and, like, you don't hurt yourself. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that was really, like, using his tools and getting comfortable with that was, like, right. kind of my first experience, you know, using tools and making stuff with, with my hands. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in high school, I took a few me metal shop classes and that was uh, that was also very illuminating. Um, that I'm was sure. that, that was definitely helpful. 
Wow. And so tell me about your family life. Like, did you grow up in Maine? Where did you grow up? So I, I was I was born in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born in Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, my, my folks moved, moved me here when I was when I was four or five. Um, and, uh, so I've been, I've been a Mainer ever since then. Uh, and I grew up in Cumberland, um, and, uh, went to Greeley high school. Um, you know, they had a, a really, really good encouraging industrial arts teacher, um, there at the time, um, who kind of pushed me to, you know, work with my hands and and do this. So that was, that, that was really nice. Uh, like I said, I, I didn't come from like, you know, like a household that had like lots of tools around and that was like a regular thing. So so I kind of, kind of, kind of was on my own for for a lot of that stuff. Right now, would it, were your parents sort of in awe when they like discovered you had a passion for this? You know, I, you know, my my folks were really, really encouraging, especially for something that that maybe might seem uh, a little bit ominous, like uh, <laughs> a real interest in knives. You know, right. and they were they were very, very supportive and. Uh, and, and eventually when I, 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 uh, I got my first belt sander, which is a really important tool, you know, it was this, this, this big nasty machine and they let me put it in the basement. And, you know, so <laughs> I, I, you know, they've been, they've been great. Uh, That's so great. I, I can't, I can't complain about that at all. So definitely very, very encouraging. Do they still live there? Uh, they, they live in, uh, they live in the Gunkwit now. Nice. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, with my, with, with my grandmother. So they're still, oh, nice. they're still in the state and, uh, they've actually helped me a lot with, with the renovation of this, of this shop that, oh, we're, that's awesome. that, we're, that we're sitting, uh, sitting yeah. in right now. So they've done a lot of painting, a lot of toil. So, uh, I really, really appreciate that. That's great. Now, what or really, who were the mentors sort of that helped you get to where you are now? Anyone that, anyone specific that comes to mind? Well, I'm really lucky to have probably the best collection of mentors that anyone could hope to have. Uh, the first one being a gentleman by the name of, of Mud Sherrigan, which is a really cool name. Yes. And uh, Mud is, uh, Mud is a, a professional knife maker. Um, you know, I, I want to say he's like 96 and he's still making knives. No way. He, he, he's in Wiscasset and he became fa- world famous for making rigging knives for people who work oh, on tall ships. Yeah. Uh, these knives are very, very important. I mean, your, your life yeah. is based upon that knife. Uh, and he was one of the first, the first guys that came around and kind of told me what to do. Wow. Um, so, so mud, mud was really, really important. And also, my buddy Herb, um, mm-hmm. who I'm still, you know, great, great friends with. Uh, we hang out and make, make knives uh, to this day. Uh, he was very, very, very helpful. One of the first, uh, the the uh, the employees that I worked with at at the Freeport Knife Company. Um, so those are my first two real big, real big influences. And before you went, um, really started your studio here in Vossilboro, you mentioned that you had a studio in Portland, and it was sort of like a co-op space. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So. Uh, um, I worked in in Portland for a while, and I shared a space with uh, Jason Morrissey, um, who is a, a a Damascus steel artist, um, and uh, we do lots of collaborations. Uh, he does some of the most incredible pattern welding work that I've ever seen. And you know, we can talk a little bit more about about this process, but it's, yeah. uh, it's sort of a sort of a mosaic kind of uh, you know based off uh, M- Millefiori glass work, um, and we uh, we kind of work on different projects, different hammers, knives, metal objects out of that. Wow. So I was I was down there in Portland for a while, yeah. Um, and uh, so I was, I was working in Portland, and uh, at the time I was also working at the New England School of Metalwork in mm. Auburn. So uh, I was I was teaching there and uh, and working part time at the 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 uh, 
at the shop in Portland before I made the uh, the, the the big move to Vassalboro. So. Wow, that's exciting! Congratulations on opening up this awesome space. It's yeah. nice that it's just so. Um, you, you have a lot of space, yet it's kind of like quiet in a way because there's nobody surrounding you. So it's nice that you don't have to go and bother any neighbors, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, it is, it is a perfect location. Um, you know, people in Vassalboro have been really, really good about it. Uh, the town of Vassalboro was very supportive. Uh, the building here was kind of, um, you know, unoccupied for some time. And, really? And I had been, I had been eyeballing it for, for some time on the internet. Um, and, uh, and, and the price kind of came down and it, it kind of was was the right time, so I had, I had to jump on it. You know, Good it just for was you. The, the the perfect combination of 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 attributes that you'd want for a bladesmithing shop. Right. So prior to you going on your own and starting your own business, did you ever have like any um, you know nervousness or feeling of like getting into your you know doing your own brand and starting to do your own knives, or did you already have like a network established, being like, okay, this makes sense, I'm gonna start and really brand myself and push myself out there as my own knife maker, my brand. Well, I, I kind of held off on that for a long time. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, a conservative in that sense that before I went off on my own, I really wanted to make sure that, that, that it was going to work. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, this is the first time I've been, I've been self-employed and, uh, and it is scary as I'll get out, yeah. but, uh, you know, uh, so, so far so good. So it's good. been, uh, it's, it's been great. It's been, yes, absolutely terrifying, but, uh, <laughs> but, but good and totally worth it. Totally worth it. Any lessons learned that you, so thus far that you could share with anybody starting up their own business? Oh boy. Boy, yeah, yeah. I've I've learned I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. Um, you know, luckily I have lots of of uh, of retail and marketing experience right. going into this. So that uh, that is you know the maybe the most important thing. Of yeah. course, you know, being able to to kind of sell your work and also and also to talk about your work. That's, yeah. that, that's really really important and kind of you know explain yourself to people and have a have, have a point of view. Um, I, I never thought I would know so much about code enforcement uh, and, you know, in town governments oh, and I'm stuff sure. like that. That that really has been uh, has been the the the, the biggest eye opener. Wow. Um, so. So, yeah. Yeah. And speaking of like talking about your craft. So let's kind of dig deep a little bit and hear more about how you go about crafting your knives. So. Is there a particular metal that you use? Like, really, what is sort of the process behind making a piece of yours? Well, I I start with a uh, um, you know a very specific type of of high carbon alloy steel, um, and you know I I don't use recycled material. Um, you know, a custom knife uh, should perform at at the highest level, um, and. I only start with material that I know what it is that I can get a melt sheet. And if you start with the best, the best stuff and don't ruin it, um, that's really the best way to wind up with, with a really like a really superior product. Um, So I start with a, 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 usually uh, the alloy I use is uh, is called ADCRV2, um, Mm -hmm. which sounds, sounds scary, but uh, (laughs) sounds like a star Wars robot. (laughs) It's not, it's not that exciting, unfortunately, (laughs) but uh, in that, you know, that steel, uh, it allows me to, to plastically move it. I can forge it easily. Um, I can harden it. And, uh, and you know, it, it offers the the customer, uh, you know, great edge holding, and uh, it's ease, ease of sharpening. And now 
most of my knives are not stainless steel. Oh, so, wow. Uh, so they're actually a high-carbon steel. So they have no rust-resisting powers of their own. Hmm. And the benefit to that is it does everything that makes it a knife better. Wow. It gets sharper. It holds an edge better. It's tougher. It's, it's better in every other way except that, you know, it, uh, as you use it, it develops a patina. Right. Um, and it sort of turns gray. It sort of turns iridescent colors. And I think that that finish is really beautiful mm-hmm. in the way that that kind of ages over the years. Yeah. Uh, and it's really prized by people. Um, and I, I, I made this mistake back when I was 15 and I just got a job working at, at the knife store. I, an older lady came in with a bunch of beautiful, uh, Sabatier kitchen knives, carbon steel, not stainless. And they had a beautiful patina on it. And I was like, you know what? This lady's really nice. I'm going to help her out. I'm going to polish all that patina off for her. And I sat there and she almost came over the table and strangled me when she came back to pick up her knives from sharpening. And, uh, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, this is really valuable to people. And I, I felt terrible. It was like, it was like 30 years of like well-developed patina. So, you know, I kind of saw the value in that at that, at that point. So I'm sure it must give it a lot of character and definitely probably has a story to tell in terms of the usage and where it's been. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep. You're exactly right. You know, the, the, the different types of acid that, that are in food, you know, sort of color it over the years. And it really is just a very, very beautiful finish. Wow. So in terms of the, you know, the process of the craft, so you have your material and does it depend on like what type of knife you're making when it terms of the hammering and just like the different equipment that you're using that kind of explain a little bit more as to, um, like one knife that comes to mind that you make uh, maybe on a regular basis that may be a different process. (laughs) Well, you know, kitchen knives are really my favorite type of knife to make. And that's because people actually use them. You know, when you, when you make a hunting knife uh, or you make like a, like a jungle machete or something like that, you know, it usually gets put on the wall or maybe gets used once a year, but kitchen knives, like the, the idea is that they're used every day. Right. And that's, that, that's very compelling. And to get a kitchen knife to work, it has to be very, very thin. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have to forge it very, very thin. And that kind of informs all of the preformed shapes that you go through to start with a raw piece of stock and right. wind up with something that's, that's, that's thin enough in the right shape and can be, you know, easily made, made into a knife. So there, there's yeah. a lot of thought and consideration as far as like shapes and preforms and kind of where, where you're going with that. Wow. And, and every knife, you know, every knife sort of has its own kind of path, um, you know. I'm sure. And uh, yeah, you know, it's the it's it's all it's all different, but it's all kind of the same. Right. You know, you can kind of rely on uh, there. There's some basic work, you know, some some basic rules of forging that if you follow, you generally can stay out of trouble. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about this all this lovely equipment that's in here and how you go about utilizing it and well, sort of the, at the different stages. I know we expressed that before for this uh, interview. There's a lot of stages that goes into making these products. <laughs> yeah, well, it all it, it all starts with fire. So right. yeah, we, we make a fire and, uh, and I have a propane-powered forge um, right here. So mm-hmm. that will allow me to get the steel up to a plastic temperature and either using a power hammer or a hand hammer, I, I form it to... Sh- I form it to it's, it's final shape as close as I can, mm-hmm. as close as I possibly can. Um, and then I go to 
the belt sander, um, which is just a, a heavy-duty belt sander, just like you kind of would, would imagine. And from there, um, you basically do the final shaping. Um, and after that part, it's, uh, it's, it's hardened. Mm-hmm. So uh, the interesting thing about working with steel is that you can completely kind of transform how it reacts. So you can take a piece of steel and you can, you can, you can treat it with heat so that yeah. it's super soft, that you can bend it easily, that you can file it, and you can grind it, and then you can then heat up that same piece of steel and cool it off really fast, and you have a material that's super hard and super tough and can't be right. bent or filed. So that, that's kind of like the really compelling part. So, uh, you know, at, at that point, you know, you would, you, would, you would harden it so that it makes it tough and, uh, and resilient and mm-hmm. hold a great edge, and then you, uh, and then you, put, a, you put a handle on it. And that's kind of the interesting thing about knife making is that you're really doing a bunch of different crafts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Traditionally, a bladesmith would not do the handles. Like, say, 100 years ago, a bladesmith would just make a blade. Wow. And then they would pass that on to a guy who all, all he did was handles. And wow. so now, nowadays, like we, we, you know, we're not, nothing's like specific anymore. So yeah. I make knives from start to finish. So you kind of have to be like a metal worker and a woodworker and do a bunch of different, you, know, you wear a bunch of different hats. And I'm sure. That's why it's, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, a little bit trickier to learn some of the other crafts initially. Right. Now, when you first started to do knife making, uh, what was your very first knife that you made? And did you just focus on the blade and the handle or was it just the blade? Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, the first knife I made, I, 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 I forged a blade and, uh, you know, I hardened it and I polished it and uh, I did a little bit of a trick. I did a cord wrapped handle. So I I, uh, oh. I took some paracord and I wrapped some cord around it and <laughs> voila handle. You know, I didn't actually have to get into the woodworking aspect. It, right. it wasn't until my second knife that I, I, I kind of experimented with, with, with wood and different different handle materials. Wow. So. And you just taught yourself that, the, the woodworking side of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, 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 did, I did see someone do it. I saw someone do it once. And there were a few books that you could buy and they kind of like roughly outlined it, but they weren't really like good. I'm you sure. Know? It was kind of like you're kind of on your own. So, right. uh, so yeah. yeah. And what um, types of materials do you use when it comes to the handle? Well, I am really into kind of like main sourced woods mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, I was able to buy a bunch of, uh, of main river drive maple, um, which oh, is a wow. bunch of maple that, you know, was part of the, 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 uh, the, the log drives originally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a company kind of drags them up from the bottom of main lakes and streams and, uh, and slabs them up. So I've got, I've got a bunch of that. Um, and I really like using that. Um, you know, I, I've got a lot of woodworking friends and they'll give me pieces of, uh, of like local maple burl and oh, wow. I'm really into like, like domestic, domestic hardwoods these days. That's but, great. Uh, yep. I'm sure it's, um, a lot stronger in terms of like, um, the way you handle a knife then, uh, with that being sort of like a hard stronger wood you know it, it is and and I sort of I sort of double up I I actually uh I'll take a very tough wood and then I I actually have the wood stabilized so oh, what, really what what that means is you know you have all the all the air and water pu- pushed out of it and you you have a, an, an, an acrylic resin replace that so it mm. makes the wood even more water resistant right you know even when someone spends a lot of money on a really nice custom handmade handmade knife someone will leave it in the sink 
for for a week of of, of soapy water, you know. Right. And and so I want to make sure that my knives, you know, hold up to hold up to even that 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 kind of abuse. I'm sure. And so with the the metals for the actual, you know, um then the knife, do you source that here in Maine too, or do you source outside? Um, the, the metals are, are made by like one of the five big metal making conglomerates in, nice. in, in the world. So, uh, so I, I stick with kind of, kind of basic stuff. Uh, there's actually a company in, uh, a company in, in New Jersey called mm. the New Jersey Steel Baron. And it was started by a guy who just like hanging out and drinking scotch with, with knife makers. <laughs> and he's like, oh, how can I do this all the time? I know I'll start, I'll start a steel company. Wow. Good so, for him. Uh, so, so yeah, this actually, now that knife making is kind of a cool thing to do, mm-hmm. um, this, uh, this really turned into be quite the business for him. So I get, nice. I get most of my steel from him and, uh, you know, I, I can trust them. They do a really good job. Great. So. And then the, I know on some of your knives, well, I'd say most of your knives, you have some really unique patterns. And uh, so tell me a little bit how you go about doing that, because it seems that such intricate, very detailed craft. Yeah, yeah. So, so the patterns that you see on my blade, this is known as pattern welding, or just the sort of slang term that we use is Damascus steel. Mm-hmm. And you, you do that by taking two different alloys, two different types of steel. One has, one has a lot of nickel in it, and one doesn't. And you start with a big stack of alternating layers, and you get that to almost melting, like like 2,200 degrees. Wow. And you actually fuse all those all those layers together. Yeah. Uh, and you can you can manipulate that. You can fold it. Um, it's sort of like 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 making puff pastry, pretty mm-hmm. much. Uh, and you know you really have uh, all this freedom to manipulate that pattern, and you can get these beautiful organic kind of flowing forms. Uh, that are just really, really uh, entrancing. Um, and making that steel, making that pattern welding steel, it's kind of one, one of my favorite parts. I'm sure. Um, and, you know, that, that's an extra level of work because you have to make the steel before you even start making the knife. So, right. Uh, so it's very, it's very time-consuming, um, wow. but it's totally worth it. So much fun. Yeah, I'm sure. How long does it typically take you to make one piece? Well, I'm pretty fast. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I kind of look at this from like a, tr- a trade base mentality. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I tell people that it takes about 10 hours to make an eight inch chef's knife plus 20 years of doing it. Wow. So, uh, so in, you know, that, that, that's considered pretty fast amongst my, among, yeah. amongst my peers. But. I'm sure. And do you do a lot of custom work? You know, I'm I'm actually at about about fifty fifty right now. Really, uh, orders and just uh, now that now that some shows are starting to open up a little bit, I've kind of like started thinking about making some stock for that. And, yeah. You know, I, I I always try and keep the uh, the uh, Center for Maine Craft uh, both in Portland and in Gardner uh, stock with a, cu- a couple pieces. Yeah. Uh, they've been really good good to me there. So uh, so I try and do that. What kind of shows um, do you partake in and showcase your workout? Um, the Common Ground Fair has mm. really been the best show for me. Yeah. Um, and over the years, I've, 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 you know, I've really developed a following there. And, uh, and you know, it's really nice to see people come back every year uh, and, and, and bring, bring me the knives that they bought the year before for me to like resharpen nice. uh, and, and touch up. Uh, and, you know, it's really, really nice to see the knives used and kind of, kind of, you know, uh, like, like people's families like oh well you know my 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 brother got one of these you know and I want I want one too so that Aww. that's been really really fun to kind of you know in a funny way become part of someone's life you know yeah. I think that's a that's a big part of craft too you know you definitely you, you become part of people's everyday rituals so. I'm sure now is there one particular 
custom project that comes to mind that was really, you know, special to you when you were, got approached by the, that person and then, you know, going through the craft? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did, actually. This was, this was like, really emotional, actually. Uh, it was a lady, um, and her, uh, her father was a, a well-known custom knife maker that, that actually died in a knife-making accident. Uh, yeah, and this is, this is very dangerous. You know, this yeah. is a dangerous, uh, a dangerous hobby. And, you know, and, and, and she, was, she was getting married, and after, you know, this is like 25 years later, she finally got to the point, you know, and she, she loved knives, too, and she wanted yeah. to have a knife made for her, for, for her, for a wedding, a wedding present, um, you know, that would be kind of part of the ceremony to kind of represent her dad because Aww. knife making was such a huge part of his life yeah. and, and her life. And so right. that was like kind of gut wrenching oh to do. Gosh. And, uh, and so I felt really responsible. I had to make the knife super nice. And, uh, <laughs> it, it, it came out good and, uh, you know, nice to see pictures from, from the wedding and, right. and it was, it was very, very cool. Oh, I love that. And do you, so um, I know you do a lot of uh, chef's knives and just really focusing on like the kitchen, you know, sort of um, knife making. But are there other types of knives you've made? Um, I know you mentioned hunting. Is there any anything else that you've made that's been a part of your your craft, you know, process? Yeah. You know, I there there is like a million different knives for a million different purposes. And uh, and I'm really into like uh, like historical knives, you know industrial knives stuff yeah. like that so i've got enough inspiration for like 25 lifetimes um i i fi- you know i'm finally getting around to doing some oyster knives Ooh, which is like favorite. you know kind of like <laughs> an obvious thing here in maine and the fact that i haven't done any you know is ridiculous so right. i'm finally getting around to it i finally found enough time to work on those so i'm really excited about Good. that uh, getting more and more into folding knives uh, oh, pocket nice. knives um that that's kind of kind of where, where, where I want to go. Um, yeah. you know, that, that, that can be really fun too. Uh, you know, like, uh, like leather working tools, leather knives. I've done that. Oh, cool. Um, you know, every, every craft, every industry kind of has like a, a, a specific knife and that can be, that can be really, really fun. Right. Wow. So it sounds like you're really expanding a lot of more, more innovative practices, you know, in your future of your craft. Where do you see your business going in over the next five years? Let's say. Well, you know, I, I would say uh, I, I, I like the way that I make knives currently. And I think that there are some ways that I can streamline it um, and kind of have more of a more more of a, a, a you know a handmade production line, mm-hmm. um, just to bring more knives to more people. I right. mean, still knives that are that are, are made made by me, made made by hand, but kind of kind of expanding that. So right. that's kind of one facet of it. You know, I'd like to just get just get more knives out there, uh, just get them into people's hands. Um, that and and making making pocket knives mostly because I think that they're they're really cool. Yeah, uh, and you know, and it's something you can just you can just throw in your pocket and, and carry around. You know, you don't you don't right. need a sheath or something like that. Right. Um, so, you know, yeah, k- kitchen knives are really my my kind of kind of where where I want to go for it primarily, though. Yeah. Now, do you go um, about uh, working with another craftsperson, or do you make your own sheets for your knives? Well, I'm really stubborn, so I do pretty much everything myself. Not because of like maybe it makes financial sense or it you know is like a great idea, but I you know I just like stuff to come out the way I like it to come out. Yeah. So I do I do it all myself. That's awesome. And so when folks go and purchase your knives, um, what do you typically tell them 
for in regards to caring for their knives, cleaning it or because I know I'm always scared to like buy a really expensive knife and I'm afraid that something bad's going to happen to it because I, I cared for it the wrong way. What do you usually tell your customers? Well, I tell them to keep it out of the dishwasher. That's <laughs> another one. Don't don't put anything that you you wish to remain sharp in the dishwasher. And right. that that's really, you know. The water in the heat is very, very bad, but actually it's like, it's like sandblasting your edges. The, yeah. the, the, the cleaners are very abrasive. So I tell people, don't do that. Um, you know, if you have a, have a designated place for it with either a blade cover or like a magnetic guard or like a, like a block or something like that, um, you know, and really just wash it, dry it and put it away is, it's pretty much the, uh, the kind of, the, the thing that I tell people and my knives are carbon steel. So if you leave food acid on them, um, it can kind of develop an orange, an orange rust and just, just clean that off with a a little piece of scotch bright or something like that. Yeah. And and just, just keep on going. That's great. That's good to know. I just wanted to ask you that because I was just curious of what you, how you've told folks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And also like, you know, there are lots of sharpening devices out there and some are better than others. Uh, hmm. If you get a really nice, uh, you know, handmade knife that has a super, super thin edge, any drag through knife sharpener um, is going to do more harm than good. Hmm. Um, so I would just, I kind of steer people away from that. Yeah, no, that's good to know. And you ten, you do offer um, sharpening you know, knife services, correct, to your customers that just need that additional sharpening if they're um, the knife gets a little dull after they've purchased your knife. Yes, yes, I'm always happy to uh, always happy to uh, to sharpen my knives and uh, you yeah. know you know do a, do a little tune up on them. Always happy to do that. Now, do they do your customers typically drop it off or do they ship their knives to you? Um, most people tend to tend to ship them. Uh, you know, I do a lot a lot of business you know a lot of business online and stuff like that. So yeah. usually, like once a year, someone will send, send me their knives and you know I'll just uh, I'll touch them up or tune them up uh, or they'll they'll meet me at a show. I, I get I get a lot of that and. Uh, you know, these knives are, are pretty easy to sharpen, so I can I can kind of do it, you know, while, while I'm at the show and, and, right. chit, and chit-chatting with people. Uh, oh, that's great. It's, it's kind of a cool cool demonstration as well. I'm sure. Now, are your customers all really here in Maine, or are they kind of all over the United States or over, over the world? Well, you know, I would say all over. Um, really? You know, the, the actually, the, the sort of Maine-focused customers have only been really, I've, I've only kind of focused on that for the past, like, maybe eight or nine years wow um and doing more doing more local shows yeah um, and you know there's there's the there's the knife community um which is you know it's kind of a you know we see it as this big thing but it's kind of it's kind of a small thing mm-hmm. you know it's a it's kind of a niche thing right uh, and 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 kind of like i i kind of uh, i did that for a while and i kind of wanted to expand my reach i i kind of saw that there was a lot of people out there who didn't know that they wanted a custom knife, who'd never even heard of a custom knife. Right. And I was like, I want to sell knives to those people. You know? <laughs> and so that kind of led me to sort of the main fine craft kind of yeah. kind of market. And then, yeah, that, that, that those are, those are mostly main people. Wow. That's fascinating. It's great that people are getting to know you like all over the place in terms of your knife and your craft. Have you um, sort of expanded your network in terms of getting to know other knife makers um, that are outside of Maine? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and I also teach a lot of knife making workshops. That That's another 
another part of my part of my whole thing mm-hmm. um you know in in kind of making that 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 process easier for people uh you know kind of you know i've really i i've i've made a, a, after 20 years almost every mistake making knives that i think you can make so i'm really good <laughs> at, at, at getting people to avoid those um and uh, and that has opened up a, a bunch of different crafts people, uh, right. people wanting to expand their skills. Um, and man, some of them are just doing some amazing, amazing work. And it's kind of nice to see, like, oh well, you know, I kind of I kind of see my my influence there. So right. so yeah, that that's definitely opened me up to a lot of crafts people all, all over the country. That's great. Now, the last question I typically wrap up all my interviews with is. Why Maine? You know, why start a business in Maine and has Maine helped your brand at all? Um, I would say it absolutely has helped. Um, and Maine um, has some of the best craftspeople in the world. And I feel super lucky that my folks moved me here, um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, just the, the, uh, all the, 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 the jewelers and the metalsmiths and the, the potters. And there are so many, you know, good fiber artists and out there. Uh, and it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of overwhelming. Um, right. and, 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 you know, being a part of that scene, uh, has really, really helped me and it's really kind of inspired me to kind of reach for more. Yeah. Um, so I'd say that that would be the big thing about, about Maine is just being surrounded by, by super talented people. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Nick. I greatly appreciate it. It was so great chatting with you and learning more about your craft. Thank you. It was super fun. Thank you for tuning in to Makers of the USA Maine series. And thank you to Nick for being on the podcast. If you would like to see visuals of his studio in Vassalboro, please follow the Makers of the USA on Instagram and Facebook. If you have enjoyed this podcast series thus far, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Facebook. I will also link his website and social media handles in the notes section so you can follow along his journey and keep up to date on his bladesmith work. Now for our future musician is the ghost of Paul Revere, whom you all have heard before in my previous episode with Lone Pine Brewery. This is their song, We Were Born Wild. If you would like to learn more about the ghost of Paul Revere, please visit the Makers of USA website for a Q&A I did with the band. Thank you all again, and stay safe and healthy. But I thought you knew that nothing would change. Will the rains they still fall? No, when you're not.